Welcome to the Developer's Road, and this is Launch Week. Developer's Road is dedicated to helping developers discover and build the next version of their career. Join me as we hear the stories, the views, and the predictions from some of the top industry leaders and discover how to use their successes and failures as a roadmap for our own careers. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast and to check us out at developersroad.com. Now it's time for a story from the Developer's Road. All right. Well, welcome back to the Developers Road podcast. Uh, we are still doing our launch episodes, and today I'm lucky to have Rob Tiffany with me. How are you doing today, Rob? I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for having me. Yeah. It's good yeah. to be here. Appreciate you taking your time. Rob is the VP and head of IoT strategy at Ericsson. So um, with a company like Ericsson, that's quite a big job you have there. I'm assuming there's a lot of IoT strategy happening there. A lot of strategy happening, <laughs> for sure. And probably different than a lot of IoT-ish stuff that a lot of other people think about, you know, certainly more focused around connectivity, as you might imagine, since right. that's Ericsson's game. Uh, rolling out 5G is what's really going on these days around the world. Yeah, That seems to be the biggest drumbeat for all of us right now. No doubt about it. Very good. No shortage of hype. Yep. Yeah. Excellent. For sure. Well, as we're doing with these launch uh, week episodes, I've wanted to just basically bring up one question to you um, today. You know, it's 2020. It's been an interesting year. Um, and you've like all industries, there's a lot of developers that are having to rethink what they're doing or just at least kind of get a level set of where they're at. So I kind of wanted to bring up, you know, what in your opinion right now in 2020 is the best things that developers could be doing to help further their career. And that's whether it's, you know, just trying to get into the industry or going from a junior dev to senior dev or, you know, breaking out to be an entrepreneur or a consultant, just kind of what you think at a high level, you know, what people should really kind of be focusing on right now. Yeah, sure. Um, there's the obvious part. Obviously, you kind of, at some level, as a dev, you got to do what you love. Um, and uh, but there's big mega trends always kind of going on in the background that you may or may not be interested in as a dev, but you never know. Um, so one thing you could look at that uh, that transcends programming languages, databases, whatever, all those kinds of things is bigger trends like you hear about generic things like digital transformation or industry 4.0 uh you know iot uh digital twins you know there's lots of big concepts that are out there that uh, again they're bigger than any programming language that a dev may be doing but it's important to if you're if you're so inclined, at least you know I'm not here to tell devs to just grab onto something and follow it just because it might hook up their career because they may hate it for all I know uh, and, and not gain any pleasure from it at all. Um, but if you follow those trends, as far if it's something that you can align with and you're still getting to you know do the type of development stuff that you like to do, following those instead of kind of railing against things like you might say, no, gosh, I just want to be a desktop developer forever. And uh, like I was a million years ago, and I need to find a way to do that. Uh, and so you might always be pushing against the tide, and it might it might be tough for you. Um, you know, we certainly saw that over time. You know, uh, you and I have been in this Microsoft kind of dev track our most of our careers, right. and and you know what? There was a time when desktop development was a big thing. Win thirty two. That was back in the nineties. You know, and so when you had Visual Basic and Delphi and Power Builder and all those things. And you had desktop databases and, and we watched that evolution. And so that was a thing. Um, 
but then you saw the rise of the web and all of a sudden people stopped building desktop apps (laughs) and people started building web apps and at least i at least if i you know as far as windows is concerned i don't think it ever came back actually um you know things yeah you know so as far as the idea of native applications i still build them myself for fun you know or from uh, for other things i'm working on uh, or to test out apis maybe um but yeah you know unless you're microsoft building office and some big things like that uh yeah we kind of lost it um you got native back again with the rise of the the mobile revolution right uh and so the rise of smartphones obviously brought back native development or at least had it in parallel with web development uh at the same time and so people who were you know doing native development whether it was you know gosh old timers like me trying to doing windows mobile and windows phone and things like that and so we were doing things that look familiar to us you know with c sharp or dot net um but at the same time, you're right. You had obviously programming for iOS and Android. Um, you know, I'd say p- people probably shoot arrows at me for this. I, I really think Android saved Java, to be honest with you. Oh, definitely, for sure. I totally remember the rise of Java kind of in the middle second half of the 90s, um, while at the same time you had this juggernaut of Microsoft really starting to kind of take over the enterprise. And so you had people, again, doing VB and things like that back then. Uh, but Java came on the rise, and Java took hold in a big way. Uh, and uh, and then I watched it kind of fade in the early 2000s. And that's when you saw the arrival of .NET, too, um, you know, as a, as a kind of a counterpoint, you know, to what Java was doing. And so Java started to fade, and then Android came along and, and breathed new life into it. And so I think that's a big reason why you still probably have a bunch of Java developers today. That's not the only reason I see people doing Java stuff everywhere, obviously. Um, right. But uh, but bigger trends, you know, as you can imagine, you know, I, I spent a bunch of time, you know, I'd say after I was in my mobile phase, um, you know, at Microsoft and spending time teaching people around the world how to build stuff, you know, apps for, for Windows Mobile and Windows Phone and things like that. Um, you know, this IoT thing, you know, kind of raised its head again, you know, after, you know, I'd done a bunch of stuff that was like that in the 90s, you know, machine to machine kind of stuff, um, you know. But uh, that thing, again, it kind of transcends programming languages and you, um, you will follow concepts. Like one thing I think is big, and, and this will sound really obvious, is, is starting with just a, B, API development is right. such a is such an important thing. Um, in fact, I remember when I was still at Microsoft speaking at conferences, and you might remember a time when all of a sudden the term mobile first was yep. being thrown around, uh, which I totally get that. But in my mind, I remember starting to do sessions. So I was like, well, you know what? If you really want to be mobile first, you really need to be API first. Because if you're API first, then you can do anything, right? You can build native, you can build web, you can do whatever you want. And so I really, you know, starting, you know, I don't know. Once we once we got on that awful SOAP era through the early 2000s <laughs> with SOAP and XML and bloated things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and think about how much effort was put into that. Uh, by so many working groups and everything. And then mobile came along and you had really slow wireless back then, like GPRS. And And so bloated wire protocols did not work well with mobile stuff. Uh, But but then all of a sudden you saw the rise of of REST and JSON and things like that that were more memory efficient and on the network. 
And so uh, I really, you know, I think that's a good concrete thing. Uh, baseline deal is, is get good at building APIs, just RESTful APIs, you know, pick your language. Obviously you can do it in .NET or Java or Go. Go is getting super popular because it's super fast and efficient. Right. Uh, but .NET Core is a lot faster and more efficient than .NET used to be. And so I think those are both good choices. Um, but that's a good starting point. Not everybody's good at GUI stuff. Um, yeah. You know, <laughs> I'm, I'm certainly not. I try. <laughs> I do my best. I, I've gotten better over the years, but it's still just, it's tough. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, but, you know, but building those APIs, because, you know, those things are what's going to live forever or a long time inside a corporation. And so, if, you know, if you do a great job of building those APIs, they're really performant, you know, there's so many great patterns to follow these days to, you know, with caching and stuff, mm -hmm. um, you know, that's going to serve you well across a lot of domains, I think. Right. Um, so much of digital transformation is is probably starting with APIs, um, you know, whether, whether people realize it or not, um, you know. This digital transformation thing doesn't just happen overnight, and and there, there's always this reality of there's stuff we already have at our XYZ company, and we're not going to get rid of it. We've got all these business systems, we've got we still have mainframes. Actually, it's funny. I always remind people every once in a while, you know, kids, the entire global financial system is still run on mainframes and COBOL today. All of it, all of it, 100%. Um, people don't migrate like you think they would. Um, oh, no, that, was, definitely. that was an interesting learning I had over the years at Microsoft was, I remember us at different moments putting a lot of effort to try to get, to pull people along from, to modernize apps. There are literally tens and tens and tens of millions of Win32 business apps that were built in the 90s and they are running business today. Uh, and then the other part that's also running business today is, is all the COBOL stuff written on mainframes, you know, that's running stock exchanges, uh, insurance companies, you know, all that, that, that kind of world there. And that's all there today. And I absolutely remember trying to pull people along and modernize your apps, build apps for tablets, build mm -hmm. them for touch first, please stop using windows XP, please. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, there was a learning I had, you know, you, you have the little epiphanies or epiphany might be overstating it is, um, Companies don't migrate. They just don't do it. Overall, they talk a good game, but if a if a, a CIO has X budget, you know, each year to spend money on stuff like that, and and you say, well, I think you should spend a big chunk of that modernizing all that old stuff, um, they're going to be like, yeah, I'm not going to do that. Uh, but you might say, but it, it's not secure anymore, or whatever. Um, what I see time and again is I see companies bidding over backwards to find any way possible to keep using their old stuff. In fact. Um, I've seen companies <clears throat> virtualizing supply chain management systems built for OS2, uh, running it in a VM on, on top of Windows Server or something like that and trying to get support from somebody um, <laughs> because yeah. they would rather find a way to make th old things work than, than re rewrite them or you know things like that. That's another opportunity too. It's not a sexy one for developers today. But the reason I, I'm kind of bringing up this old, you know, stuff, it's like, why? Who cares about that stuff? That's the point. Nobody cares about it. All the other developers you're competing with in the market to get gigs, they're all doing the cool, new, sexy stuff, right? Whatever that happens to be. Um, 
they are absolutely not interested in maintaining, updating, managing, whatever, all that, all those Win32 apps, COBOL stuff. So in the event that you just want to have a gig or you want to, you know, you want to be able to keep working and you want to do things and you're okay with doing old stuff, that is a huge opportunity. Um, I read a great article maybe a year ago. I don't know. I think it was in the Wall Street Journal um, about all these old guys, you know. If we all know what happened with the, you know, remember the whole Y2K thing, right? I do remember that. I almost quit college over that thing because the money was so good. Money was so good. So Absolutely. I, I was halfway through my CS degree and I, I, if I didn't think my mom would kill me, I would have probably jumped, dropped out of school to, because they yeah. were just throwing money around. For they just, were throwing money around. Well, and if you remember at the time, if they were getting guys out of retirement because there's no, yeah. there weren't a lot of COBOL people around anymore and they're getting guys out of retirement to come back and, and update the software to do four digit dates right yep. uh and all this software well guess what that's still a thing today and you know gosh and again it's been maybe a year or two i remember reading this article but it was it was basically the gist of it was like hey folks no, nothing's changed the entire global financial system is still running on this stuff and there are pictures of where they're picking up really, really, really old guys in lim in limousines, and the guys are coming out in wheelchairs or with their oxygen tanks and stuff like that, and they're paying them a fortune. So to your point, maybe you could have taken a little pause from your CS degree, get some cash, maybe go back. Anyway, that's still a thing today. Um, I think there was a consulting firm in Dallas. And I think they're called themselves the Cobalt Cowboys. Um, <laughs> kind of, if you happen to remember a movie from a long time ago called The Space Cowboys with mm -hmm. like Clint Eastwood, a bunch of old guys they brought together because they were the only ones who knew how to operate some old satellite. Right. Same concept. These consult these guys, they're like, wow, we can't compete on Angular and Java and .NET and all these other cool things with all the kids, but none of them seem to care about this stuff and we're cleaning up. So there's an avenue for you. And, and I also predict it, it's already happening now, but I absolutely predict as, as we move into the future that we'll see that same phenomenon with COBOL with all those Win32 apps from the 90s because those apps are absolutely running most businesses today still um, somehow, some way. So if you dust off some old VB or Power Builder or Delphi, Access, Fox Pro, you name it, <laughs> skills, um, especially in government, you'd be amazed the kind of stuff that government entities were, were building stuff on. I still, I still see blurbs every once in a while. We're like, yeah, we need access database developers. I'm like, really? That's a thing. It's a thing, kids. It's a thing. So there's the old way of looking at things to help right. your career. If, if you are so inclined, uh, it's not for everybody. Um, and then the, the new stuff, mega trends like digital transformation, I would say lead with APIs, because people are going to wrap old systems with REST APIs. Again, they're not going to get rid of old systems, just like they're not getting of old apps. They're going to keep running their databases that they've always had. They're going to be running SAP, all these different things that they've collected over the years. They're going to keep running them. And you're, and this is not a new thing, the idea of wrapping old stuff with, you know, we did it with SOAP, and then people have been doing that with REST for a while. But you can, you can make it better. Um, the idea of connecting old things, departments, people with APIs, uh, you know, is, is a thing. So I think being API first 
is super helpful. Pick your language. That's going to be helpful. Um, you know, there's obviously more modern data. You know, gosh, just go to Apache.org and start downloading things. Um, right. You know, a lot of times, so like with this IoT megatrend, for instance, which is something else you can grab onto. Um, you know, it was a perfect storm of near-ish ubiquitous connectivity, wireless, wired, whatever, um, lowering cost of microcontrollers. So a lot of us who, I happened to do that stuff in the 90s, but even people who didn't, people who got into mobile development, who maybe didn't think of themselves as embedded developers, but they did mobile through the 2000s right. and, and now, you know, it's like, hey, repurpose those skills for microcontrollers and small devices uh, and pulling together data from those sensors and actuators and, you know, pack serializing that to send over your APIs or other cool weird wire protocols like MQTT or AMQ right. or whatever, yep. you name it. Um, that perfect storm though, of those small devices, microcontrollers getting cheaper, because make no mistake about anything in the world. It's always about economics. Of course. You always think it's about something else. It's about money in the end. Yep. <laughs> um, and so um, learning about if you are so inclined and you have maybe that mobile development experience, but maybe you didn't have embedded experience, you'll find on, depending on the, you know, the size of that small device, you may be able to repurpose your high level language that, you know, just depends on, you know, things, obvious things, CPU, memory, right. uh, storage, things like that. And so, uh, while really tiny, tiny devices, you're still probably going to be using C. Um, but on, as they start getting a little bit bigger, you know, yeah, you can use Python, you can use, you know, .NET, you can use Node.js, um, and on and on from there. Um, that's the device side of things. You know, you're still calling over some kind of APIs, different wire protocols doing different things. Uh, so sometimes it's RESTful with JSON and HTTPS, and sometimes not. Um, that whole server side of that thing, though, should be familiar to you. It should look like middleware that we've all built a thousand times right. already yep. for so many customers. Because uh, that's what it is. If you think like what Azure IoT is, you know, it's just middleware, right? Yep. You know, I'm catching data, I'm authenticating it, I'm dropping in a message queue, I'm making everything loosely coupled, I'm pulling it out, I'm doing something. Um, when you were modeling things in the past with objects and inheritance, stuff like that, repurpose some of your thinking there to jump on this digital twin train because uh, digital twins are taken off now. That, that's something that was primarily just uh, in the area of manufacturing. Right. Uh, and so, but now it's kind of, you're seeing it going more mainstream um, out there in the IoT space specifically. Uh, I'd say do, go look up on digital twins. It's just a data structure in, in the end. Uh, and so, uh, so learn about those things, learn about, you know, obviously there's some, you know, analytics obviously is a big thing. I know every marketer seems to call everything AI <laughs> these days, whether it really right. is or not, it probably isn't. Um, right. most of the time when I talk to people and they tell me, I say, tell me what you're really talking about with your AI. And the more you peel back the onion, I'm like, so basically every line of code I've ever written in my life is AI based on your definition <laughs> of AI. Right. Yep. <laughs> you never know. Um, but getting good at analytics, you know, um, you, we all, I say we all, a lot of us started with databases, just relational databases and SQL. Most and that's, that's how we mine data and that's how we analyze things. 
Uh, and then we also analyze things in code and branching logic and loops and all kinds of stuff like that. It all works the same across all programming languages. It doesn't matter. Um, but then the next level of that is, is, is things like machine learning. Um, and so Python could be your friend because it's got a lot of math and science, you know, libraries built into it that help you with that. Uh, if you're a .NET person though, you know, they've been, Microsoft's been kind of pushing along that little ML.NET uh, libraries to try to bring, because, you know, there, there's people who are in the R and Python community who kind of just get that because that's what they're doing natively with those languages oftentimes. So bringing a lot of that love to .NET, if you're a .NET developer, go take, and you want to go down that path, you know, go take a look at the, the .NET ML stuff that they got there. I think that's super helpful. Um, all those things, you know, find the trends. And then if there's a language you already love, see if there's libraries or frameworks that let you participate in that trend, right? Yep. If not, you may have to go learn something else potentially. And, and hopefully you're open to doing that. I know a lot of us have been in the game a long time. You, Without knowing it, you find yourself learning lots and lots of different programming languages. And, and hopefully after a while you realize a lot of the concepts are all the same. Just the yeah. syntax might be different. Syntax. Yeah, different you know? syntax. So it's, even that's, the, even then a lot of them have really, a lot of them tend to you know, merge, have slowly came you know, a lot closer together over the years too. Yeah. So it's, it's a lot easier to switch from language to language than it used to be. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. And you know, the other thing too, um, like, uh, you know, that whole code.org thing, the yeah. hour of code, um, you know, I remember I went that actually did the training for that one day and, and I, I go to schools and teach kids and do the hour of code thing every year and, you know, walk, you know, it's basically just JavaScript right. uh, on a web browser and teaching kids using those blocks which all that originated from a Blockly uh, from, I think it was Google originally. I know MIT has got some of it and other things now, but another way to start in a programming language in a career, if you're really, really a beginner and don't know what you don't know is learning with these blocks. And there's different, you know, there's, there's that stuff you see in code.org. There's stuff like Scratch. There's stuff called App Inventor from MIT to let you build apps for Android. And they're actually about to launch something to do it with iOS, where nice. you're just using these puzzle pieces and blocks and seeing where they fit. And so without you writing, typing code, you're learning the concepts you know, of how the logic works, right? Um, and I think that's super helpful because I think that's the, be the beginning of it, right? Is I, I need to know the high level concepts of how an application flows. And then once you start getting good at that, then you can, you know, drop in and start and writing the text for whatever programming language you want to do. You know, um, I always thought what was interesting with Python is Python is oftentimes a, a language that we teach kids or beginners because it's easy. A lot of people say Python's the easiest language to learn in the world, even though it doesn't have semicolons. Um, <laughs> but, um, but, what I think was powerful about that is like, well, isn't that interesting? The easiest language that we teach kids to learn also happens to be the number one language that data scientists are using to do the hardest stuff in the world. Well, that's a kind of a good, good combo. That so works. if you want to get into that data science space, go learn Python. It's easy, you know, uh, and then little by little, you'll learn about how to use all the cool libraries that are built into Python that, that let you do some of the ML stuff. So that's another angle a developer could follow as well. Nice. Um, yeah. 
I don't am I being exhaustive enough here? <laughs> yeah. No, I appreciate it. I mean, it is it's the thing that you know, I've seen a lot of the de developers especially, you know, younger developers and such that get so well, even older developers do it, they get so wrapped up in whatever particular language and stuff they're using that they don't want to change and they think yeah. of it as a and they lose sight of the bigger picture and they get and which is as you said is fine. I mean, I know people who are making, you know, really good careers out of doing windows development still, you know, WPF and wind forms and things like, and they'll probably do that the rest of their careers. And it's, you know, there's yeah. always going to be that market for it and such, but you know, there's, you know, people tend to get so focused on what's right in front of them that they don't take that step back to look at what the trends and what's coming down the road to right. position themselves for that growth. And that's kind yeah. of, the, that's the big thing. I mean, you can stay busy and, whatever path you're at for the most part, unless you're a Silverlight developer, but, um, Oh, <laughs> although I, I still Just don't turn the who, knife. You know, I, I still, well, that's how I got my first MVP was off Silverlight. So I oh, right don't like three is when I started doing a lot. And, uh, that was a bad, wow. idea. but, but, I mean, but for the most part, I mean, you've got, I mean, you know, there's those trends out there. So I no, I really appreciate it. It's good stuff. All right. So I think, you know, appreciate your time. Um, so yeah. Rob is going to be back for another episode, probably in about a week. Um, we'll have him back out here to go into a little bit more about his story, but until then, Rob, where can everyone get a hold of you? Well, they can get a hold of me. I'm on LinkedIn, probably the most just Rob Tiffany on there at Rob Tiffany on Twitter. I tweet a lot, maybe too much. Okay. Basically I'm spamming everybody. Um, but yes, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I used to say you could catch me on an airplane somewhere, but that's probably not happening too much. Uh, if you're ever in the Redmond area in Washington, drop me a line. I'll go get coffee. <laughs> Excellent. All right. Well, I appreciate it, Rob. Hey, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. All right, thanks. Thank you for joining us on the developer's road. If you like this episode, please make sure to give it a like and leave us a comment. Make sure to subscribe to the developer's road. So you don't miss an episode and to go to developersroad.com to keep up to date with everything going on with this podcast and much, much more. Until next time, keep one arm out the window, the wind in your hair, and I'll see you somewhere down the developer's road.